Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. I'm going to preach, at least I think so, on the armor of God. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 15. That's where we're going to be, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 15. Hallelujah. Give you guys a minute to get there. We'll have it on the screen for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anointing this word. So it says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Say all. I'm going to get to this point in a moment, but if you don't have that highlighted, take out a highlighter. If you got one, highlight that verse. All the strategies of the devil. You will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. I'm telling you, I keep repeating that because most Christians don't have any idea of that reality where there's a, there's a realm, there's a place we can live in life where we stand firm against all, all, each and every one of the strategies of the devil, assignments against our, against our life. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities, Uh, Another translation, if you have the New King James or King James, it says against principalities and power. Say principalities. Powers. It says of the unseen world against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. It says then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, putting on the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. I like the way the King James and the New King James says it. It says, all. Say all. It says, with which you will quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. That means all. All means all. You look at the Greek word used for all, guess what it means? All. Say all. Hallelujah. And it says, uh, so verse 17, put on salvation as your helmet and take a sword of the, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So there are different levels of demonic power. I just want to set this up as we begin to talk about this. It says principalities, powers. You know, so there's different levels of demonic power in the earth. Number one, Satan. The Bible calls Satan the prince of demons. The Bible calls Satan the the god of this earth. The Bible calls Satan Beelzebub. The Bible calls Satan lord of the flies. Satan is at the top, right? And then principalities, say principalities. There is demonic powers that are assigned over cities, assigned over regions, assigned over countries. You know, there's a principality assigned of the United States of America, a demonic power that's orchestrated trying to push people in a specific direction with a specific agenda. So there's principalities 
They're like governors, demonic governors, and then there's powers. These powers are just the little demons that run around. You have to understand this. Satan is not God. He's not omnipresent. Do you know this? I got some family visiting from Kansas. The devil can't be in Kansas and Texas at the same time. He's not God. He's not omnipresent like God is. So what are these, you know, how does he carry out his agenda? Principalities and powers. There's little minion devils running around trying to infiltrate people's lives. Amen. And so, you know, principalities, something we've done at this church, we've ticked off a principality in this area. I'm telling you, we've just we've slapped him upside the head, and he's mad at us. We got a new person that came in. Karen, raise your hand. She came in from soul winning, came last weekend, got saved or, or rededicated. I'm not sure which one. Got baptized. The Lord touched her life. She told me the second she left this church that everyone in this town tried to tell her to not come back here. Isn't that crazy? You know what that is? That's a devil. It's like people that have never even stepped foot in here. Don't go back to that crazy cult church. I mean, that's a principality. But praise God, we're doing something right. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, if you want to be a part of Revival House Church, you're going to have to get a, a, some backbone, right? Amen. So there's different levels of demonic power. I want you to understand this. So in regards to Satan, in regards to principality, in regards to demons, we have victory over the enemy. I want you to write that fact down. We have victory over the enemy. That, that revelation right there will change your life, and most believers don't know that fact. You know, the Bible says this in Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. Paul said, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Say his power. For us who believe in him. Do you know you have power? Do you know you carry power? Do you know the Bible says that the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, if you're born again, lives on the inside of you. He lives on the inside of me. The Bible says greater is the spirit that's in me than the spirit that's in this world. The Bible says that we hold, in Luke 10, 19, all authority over the power of, the, or we have authority over all the power of the enemy. Amen. We have power. So it says, and Paul was saying, I pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power that lives on the inside of you. Because I'm going to tell you, if you would understand it, none of us would ever be a victim again. You know what happened if we'd understand the power that lives in us? The, the inheritance that we've received is that we would rule and reign in this life like Jesus Christ did. Amen. So it says, this is the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. He is far above. Say far above. Now, guys, there's no contest. He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but in the world to come. I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ is seated not only above demonic power. Man, he's seated above worldly power. Jesus Christ is seated far above Joe Biden. Jesus Christ is seated far above the United Nations. Come on, somebody. Jesus Christ is seated far above Dr. Fauci. That's why it makes the devil so mad. Why is it that these believers, we try to do all this stuff, and there's like this little group of people, which we're not a little group. That's what the devil likes to tell you, but we're at, we are the majority in this country. 
Come on. How is these people, they're, they're just resisting, they won't comply? That's because, man, we're seated far above. Amen. And yes, we do. I know the Bible says that we need to comply with our government officials. We only do so until it causes you to compromise the word of God. They tried to get Peter and John to compromise. And what did he say? Who should we obey, you or God? Don't preach that name of Jesus anymore. He said, we cannot not preach it because Jesus said, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Make disciples of nations. So he's seated far above any ruler, authority, or power, or leader, anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things, look at this, for the benefit of the church. Say the church. Who's the church? We are. So Jesus sits in the place of authority for our benefit here on the earth. How is it to our benefit? Because it says this, the church is his body. Say his body. So that means if we are his body, we are the body that makes up Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, the person, sits on the throne. What it's saying here is me and you sit on the throne. We're seated in Christ in heavenly places. So that means that if he's on that throne and we're seated in him, we are seated far above any spiritual principality, the devil himself, any demonic power in this world and in the unseen world or world to come. The church is his body is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Colossians 2, 14 through 15, it says he canceled the the record of charge against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed. Say disarmed. He disarmed. Another translation says defeated the spiritual rulers and authorities. You understand the devil's disarmed. Against the church. We have authority over that spirit. This will help you. You know, there's, I don't know where you're at in your faith, what you believe. There's different arguments about when the rapture is going to take place. Right? Some Christians don't believe it'll take place at all. Some Christians believe that, you know, we'll be here for a little bit and then somewhere in the middle we'll get caught up. Some, some people believe that we're going to be here through the seven-year tribulation. I'm going to tell you that's all false. For many reasons, but Understand this, because of authority. The church has to leave because the devil has no authority over the church. In order for the Antichrist to step into his place of power, the church cannot be on this earth because we are the governing authority on the earth. He has defeated, defeated, disarmed. He's disarmed. Did you know the devil, demons, principalities are disarmed when it comes to you? Spiritual rulers and authorities, he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So we have victory over the enemy. We're not trying to get victory. We have victory. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. I'm telling you, I know, like if I were to preach that at any, at least full gospel church, they'd shout you down and say amen, but they don't live like it's true. Most Christians run around, live in defeated, live like they're constantly getting beat up by the devil chewed up, spit out, beat down, broke down by the devil. Am I right? But we're not trying to get victory. We have victory. And in fact, what we have to do is possess the promises of the word and and bring them to fruition, to stand in our victory and not to compromise. So with that being said, the Bible clearly teaches that we have victory over Satan, 
principalities and powers. So then where does this come in? Why does the Bible say to stand firm against the strategies of the devil? That it says after the battle, say the battle. So where's this battle then? If we have the victory, where does this battle come into play? How do they wage war against us? I want you to look back up in verse 11 of Ephesians 6. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand against the strategies. Say strategies. I know the King James and New King James uses the word wiles, the wiles of the enemy. That Greek word used there, it actually means this. It means the cunning art, deceit, say deceit, crafts, trickery. So I really want you to highlight these words, deceit and trickery, so that you will be able to stand against the deceit of the devil. You will be able to stand against the trickery of the devil. And you have to understand this is that he's been defeated, right? He has no authority over the believer. So what is his only angle towards us is to try to trick us into tolerating illegal action against our life. The devil's a thief. The, the Bible calls him the man of lawlessness. Guess what? He doesn't obey God's word. He doesn't obey the law of God. He doesn't obey the laws of the kingdom. He is a man of lawlessness, the Bible says. So what does that mean? That he will try to illegally put things on you and illegally put things on me that he has no authority to do so. I know that you've heard it said, but I want to tell you guys something, that if some Russian soldiers came over to Texas and came knocking on my door, and, you know, they got the guns and they got the patches. They're, they're Russian soldiers. And they said, we need you and your wife and your family to get out here in the front yard. Am I under any obligation to do it, they say? Who the heck are you? You're not, a, you're not the authority here. You have no jurisdiction to be doing that here. Amen. So that what the devil does is his only angle. He has no power. He has no authority over us. His only angle is to trick us into tolerating illegal action against our life. And I'm going to tell you something, that if you don't comply, he can have no hand in your life. He's only allowed to do what we let him do. So that means if you're born again and you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you're washed by the blood of Jesus, and the enemy wreaks havoc in your life, it's because you let him do it. It's the only reason. It's not because he has the right. It's because you're tolerating illegal action in your life. Come on, somebody. So write this down. You need to understand. Number one, we said we have victory over the enemy. Number two, God gave us tools that would allow us to live immune. Say immune. That is a strong word, and I want you to get that in your spirit. To allow us to live immune from the hand of demonic power and to come out on top every time. Say every time. Leave that up for a moment for those writing it down. God gave us tools that would allow us to live immune from the hand of demonic power and come out on top every time. So when you look back at Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. The devil can try to come to trick you. The devil can come to try to deceive you. But if you do the things that we're going to talk about, it says you'll be able to stand firm against them. You'll be unmovable. You'll be untrickable. You, you won't be able to be deceived. 
You won't tolerate illegal action against you. Are y'all with me? There is a way to live where we never lose a battle, we never get touched, we never get sacked by the enemy. Amen. You know, and you just think, well, what is the, the hand of the enemy? When you begin to study the Bible, sickness is the hand of the enemy. The Bible says Jesus went around doing good and healing, say healing, all that were oppressed by the devil. The devil oppresses people, principalities oppress people, demon powers oppress people. How does it manifest in your life? It manifests itself in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the form of sickness and disease. There was a woman crippled over for 18 years. Jesus looked at her and said, this woman has been held captive by the devil for long enough. Think about that. Jesus didn't look at this woman in the scripture and say, this woman's got arthritis, osteoporosis. This woman's got a bone disorder. He said, this woman has been afflicted by the devil, a spirit that's manifesting itself in the form of sickness and disease. There was people that were brought to Jesus that they were blind, and it said that he rebuked the spirit and they could see. They were deaf. He rebuked the spirit and they could hear. They were dumb. They couldn't speak. They were mute. He rebuked the spirit, and now all of a sudden they can hear, see, speak. They were, they were crippled. He rebuked the spirit. They began to leap and dance and praise the Lord. Sickness is a hand. Sickness is the hand of the enemy. Amen. I don't need to go over all of that with this church. You guys understand that. But if you think about this then, that's one of the manifestations of demonic oppression. So if we put this in context, there's a way for us to stand firm and live immunity from sickness and disease. I'm telling you, I'll get shot down, I know, in religious country for saying something like that, but that's what the Bible teaches. Are y'all with me? Poverty is the hand of the devil. The Bible says in John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Right? What's the hand of the devil? If you can look and you can, you can identify still, kill, still, destroy, then that's the hand of the devil. But he said, Jesus said, I came that you may have life and life abundantly. So that means that there's a, you know, you look at that, that, that that's exactly what poverty is. People that are in, in poverty-stricken situations, it's destruction. The enemy has come and stolen if you're born again, you have the blessing of Abraham. Can you say amen? Part of the blessing of Abraham, he said in Deuteronomy 28, I'll make you the head and never the tail, above and not beneath. In fact, you'll lend to many. You'll never need to borrow from anyone. That's actually a part of the blessing of Abraham that the children of Israel inherited because of their father Abraham of the faith. Come on, somebody. So where do we get into these situations where we're beat down, we're broke down, we can't pay our bills, our water gets turned off, our lights are getting shut off, we can't afford to... I'm telling you, that's the hand of the enemy. There's actually a way for us to live where we can stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Amen. Say immune. Look at this, James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist, say resist, the devil, and he will flee from you. So the Bible tells us that we can resist, and if we do what it means by resist, what will happen? The enemy will flee. 
If we'll resist, the devil can't stay. I'm telling you, if you'll learn how to resist the devil, he cannot stay in your life. He can't stay in your kid's life. He can't stay in your marriage. He can't wreak havoc in your household. He can't touch your property. If you'll resist the enemy, he will flee from you. So here's the question. How do we resist? How do we resist? Look back up at verse 13 of Ephesians 6. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. How do you resist the armor of God? If you put on the armor of God, it says you'll resist the enemy. That is how you resist the enemy is through the armor of God. And what will happen? He'll flee from you. Doesn't that line up with what he said? That you'll still be standing firm after the battle. In fact, part of the armor, he said you'll hold up the shield of faith with which you'll quench all the fiery darts of the devil. All of them say all. Not you're sitting here and, man, why am I getting sick all the time? Why are things just blowing up in my face all the time? Why does it seem like one unfortunate event after another in my life reoccurring all the time? Because you're not walking in the armor of God. Y'all with me tonight? Write this last thing down here. Number three, you need to understand the word is never the problem. The word is never the problem. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. If there is a problem, it's not on God's side, it's on our side. Telling you, if you start recognizing the hand, the, the, the still kill, destroy hand being successful in your life, it's not because God isn't doing something. It's not because God's withholding something from you. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus with the resounding yes and amen. Ephesians chapter 1 says, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. When you were born again and you entered into that blood covenant, everything God had to offer, he already gave it to you. He already gave you his yes. He already gave you the blessing of Abraham. He already, it says in Matthew 8, 17, he took our sicknesses, removed our diseases. He's already healed our body. By his stripes I was healed. He's already blessed us. He's already made the way for us. So if I'm recognizing that hand at work, it's not because of God and the word's never the problem. Are y'all with me? The only way that the enemy can infiltrate us is to cause us to create a break in the armor of God. He gave us the armor, and he said, if you'll take these things, you will stand firm in the day of evil. And after the battle, after he's done doing whatever the crap he wants to try to do and the havoc that he wants to wreak, the trickery, the lies, you'll still be standing firm like an unmovable object, not touched by the enemy. Come on, somebody. So what the devil will do is he'll attack these different things, and we're going to go over the different pieces of the armor. I'm going to tell you where this revelation, where I begin to dig into this, is last week, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my daughter, Oki, Oakland, she got a fever of 104. I mean, it was like she was fine. Woke up that morning, goo-goo-ga-ga, crawling around, walking around, eating, happy, laughing, playing outside, and then it was like you snap your finger. She had 104 that's not like a low-grade temp. That's pretty high, you know, 104. Man, we were sitting there. We laid hands on her. We rebuked it, and she went to sleep that night, and the fever went away. A couple of days went by, and out of the blue, right, a couple of days went by, she was fine. 
Out of the blue, the fever just spikes back up 104. This time, I begin to get mad because I knew the word of God, and I said, this ain't right. According to the word, I don't, regardless of what I'm experiencing, according to the word of God, this situation, this ain't right. My daughter, it says no plague, no disease will come nigh thy dwelling, Psalms 91. Though a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 die around you, these evils won't touch you. I believe the word of God. I believe it for my children. In fact, I begin to point the finger and I said, hold on a second. It ain't because of Oki's faith that she's sick. She's a baby. If there's a problem, it's with mommy or daddy here. What's going on? Where, and the Lord began to lead me to Ephesians chapter 6. And the Lord said, I want you to go through the list of the armor, and I want you to see if you're missing it in any of these areas. So I read through Ephesians 6. I began to go down the, the list, and we'll break each one of these down. But the first one is truth. Say truth. I begin to look at my life and say, Lord, is my truth messed up? If my truth had been messed up, guess what? That's where the break was. And if there was a break in the armor, then he has access. The, the fiery darts, the, the enemy has access to our lives, right? He gave us these specific things. Do these specific things. If you do these specific things, you'll resist the enemy and he'll flee from you. But if you have a compromise in any of these areas, then he won't flee. He'll have access. So I begin to look, is my truth messed up? We'll talk about this, but no, I, no, my truth isn't messed up. The next part of the armor is righteousness. I begin to look at our righteousness. Is our righteousness messed up? I begin to keep reading through the peace. Is my peace messed up? And I'll talk about that. It's assignment. It really is your assignment. Am I out of assignment? Is my faith messed up, the shield of faith? Is my salvation messed up? Is there a break or a kink in any of those areas? And I begin to at, genuinely ask the Holy Ghost, Lord, I'm thinking about things. You know my heart. If there's a break in any of these areas, please show me quickly so that I can repent, I can make it right, and then this thing will flee. The Lord told me. I begin to look. And I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that, oh, I've achieved some level. Nothing. But the Lord didn't bring anything to my spirit immediately that was, that was the causing factor to cause that break. So then the Lord put, took me to the next part of the armor, which is take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And, and, and I'll get to this, but the entire armor of God is defensive, and there's only one tool that's given for offense. It's the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. So the Lord said, no, your armor's fine, so take the sword and begin to use it. My wife held my daughter in, in our bedroom. I told, her, I told her, begin to pray in the Spirit. And I just begin to declare the word of the Lord over her. Everything that I just read to you. Though a thousand fall at our side and ten thousand die around us, these evils will not touch us. No plague comes near my dwelling. He removed our sicknesses, carried away our diseases. He was beaten so that I could be whole. He was whipped so that I could be healed. That I have all authority over the power of the enemy. I just begin to quote the word of God and use the sword of the Spirit. I'm going to tell you, she went to sleep, she woke up from her nap, and that fever was gone, and it never returned again. Hallelujah. So the Lord told me, he said, you know, put it on my spirit. I want you to teach people that if there is demonic infiltration in their life, you need to examine these things. Do I have a problem in any of these areas? Y'all with me tonight? So let's begin. Go to verse 14 of Ephesians 6. 
I say begin. Don't worry. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just going to go through the, through the first three tonight. You're like, oh, my gosh, we'll be here till 10 o'clock. No, I'll give you enough to chew on for a little bit. I'm not just going to shove it down your throat where you're throwing up because it's just too much at once. I'll give you some time. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, 14. It says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Say truth. Write that down. Number one, the first part of God's armor is truth. Truth. Say truth. Say it again. Say truth. I'm telling you, we're going to get into this, but if you don't know the truth about God's word, the devil will tear you up one side and down the other. If you don't know the truth, the devil will tear you up one side and down the other. I want you to write this down in regards to truth. Number one, you cannot be ignorant of the truth. Hosea 4.6, I'm just going to give you the first part of that verse. It says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Wait, hold on a second. Why are people destroyed? Is it because that's just part of life? No, is that what it says? My people are destroyed because that's just a normal part of life, and on this earth you'll win some, you'll lose some, and sometimes there'll be destruction. Is that what he said? My people are destroyed because that's my will for them, says the Lord. Is that what it says? No, he says, my people perish. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. What does that mean? You cannot be ignorant of the truth. There's so many Christians that are getting beat up by the devil because they don't know the truth of God's word. It's very simple. They're illiterate. They don't have any truth. They have no doctrine at all when it comes to authority, when it comes to healing, when it comes to the divine promises of God. All they know is they got baptized once when they were seven years old in their grandpa's Baptist church in the backwoods, and that's all they know about God. And guess what? They live a life filled with the enemy's destruction. You are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. People think that getting saved is like the magic wand, Right? If I got saved and the Bible promises all this stuff, how come I'm sick all the time? So you got a problem with your truth. Number one, do you have a problem with your truth? Man, I'm going to tell you that there was stuff early on, and sometimes this is a process. You're not going to get saved and just know everything all at once. But when we first started, even in the ministry, we struggled in a lot of areas. When we first got saved... I remember even early in my marriage, I've told you all these stories, but my wife, she had several miscarriages. What'd you say? Oh, I'm sorry, we first got married. Well, I mean, I got saved like not long, yeah, before we got married. When I went to Bible college, I didn't even go to Bible college thinking like, oh, I'm going to be a minister. I was lost. I was like, man, I'm an idiot. I'm lost. I'm as lost as lost can be, and I just need to go figure out who Jesus is because he's the only real thing in my life. That's why I went to Bible college. He anointed me, filled me, called me, gave me a wife, and he sent me on my way. Hallelujah. And so we came into the ministry really quick, and we, there was a lot of things. I'm telling you, she went through miscarriages. She got diagnosed up and down with all this stuff, and, and I had no truth to stand on. I just knew the religious thing. That's just part of life. That's just part of life. 
That's just part of it. What do most people do? I, I just told you the story about Oki, my daughter. What do most Christians do when their children get fevers? Nothing. Not a word. Not a thought. It's part of it. But if you got the truth, you realize it's not part of it. This is an illegal action against my family. I remember when the truth began to come and my wife was having these miscarriages and you had all the little religious people tell you dumb things like, well, maybe it's God's will for you to adopt. Maybe he does want me to adopt, but this ain't the way he's telling me to adopt. God doesn't teach through destruction. He teaches through instruction, right? God doesn't destroy his children to teach them a lesson. That's how he treats the wicked, and I wasn't the wicked. I was a son of God. He teaches through instruction. I begin to read the promises of God, and you look at the promise that God gave to his children, even in the old covenant. Every single time he promised them blessing, he promised them with multiple children. I'll bless you with many children, Deuteronomy 28. In fact, in Exodus 23, he says, I'll remove miscarriages from among you. Miscarriage wasn't from God. It was from the devil. We got a hold of the truth, and what happened? We began to stand. No, we don't allow this. This is not right. You won't have another miscarriage. We begin to use the word of faith, the sword of the Spirit, and guess what happened? Woo! Got, got, all of a sudden, now all these problems, gone. And now all of a sudden, we're on our third kid. Hallelujah. And rolling. Now all of a sudden, she goes and gets tests, and they're saying all the stuff that she used to have, just getting... Wow, those, that, that test is coming back clear. That test is coming back good. Why is that? Because that's our portion as believers. Man, I'm telling you, the first year or two that we were married, we were, we were struggling. We were in the homeless shelter line trying to get a food box. We didn't make enough money. I was, I was needing to go get noodles from the food boxes just to eat, and it was just me and her. I mean, it was like we didn't even have kids then. That's how bad it was. Did I love Jesus? You're dang right I love Jesus. Was I in the ministry serving him? I was, but I had no truth. So what was I doing? Tolerating illegal action from the enemy. We got a revelation of seed time and harvest of the tithe. We really got a revelation, and I kid you not, in one year, we saw our personal income triple in one year from how it had been the previous two or three years. Say the truth. It's for a lack of knowledge that Christians are perishing in the United States of America. It's because they're not reading the Bible, and then they'll go to service once a month, right? The average Christian goes to church like once every six weeks. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then the churches that they do go to, their idea of preaching is a 45-minute worship service with like a 15-and-a-half-minute long message that has two Bible scriptures and a sermon on how to be happy in life. Are you all with me? And then what's happening? They have no truth to stand on. When the devil comes, they don't even know what illegal is. They got the KJBs knocking on their front door, and they can't differentiate. Uh, sorry, they can't tell the difference of what's right and what's wrong. Say truth. You cannot be ignorant of the truth. You, this is really important also. Say the belt. So it's not just the truth. It's called the belt of truth. And it, this isn't by accident. Paul was talking about Roman armor. On a Roman uh, soldier, the armor, there's different pieces. We'll talk about this, but it was all held together by the belt. It was all held together by the belt. 
So what does that mean? If your belt was dysfunctional, guess what? The rest of your armor was dysfunctional. That's why it's the belt of truth. If your truth is messed up, guess what else is messed up? Your righteousness is messed up. Well, now all of a sudden, and that, what do you got in the United States of America? I'll talk about this, but the sloppy grace message that Christians don't even believe you have to live righteous anymore. Why do they believe like that? Because their truth is messed up. Their doctrine is messed up. So they run around, you don't have to be righteous to go to heaven, and guess what? Their life is full of the destruction of the enemy. We don't want to tell people that there's actually an expectation from God. Oh, my God. Can you believe that? God actually expects some things out of me now that I'm saved. You know, one of the things Jesus said in the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, he said, I know the things that you do. I've examined your heart, and I have found that you don't meet the requirements of my God. Your actions, he said, don't meet the requirements of my God. I would will that you would either be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Christians don't believe. They, what, what do you got right now? Why do, why do Christians go to church once every six weeks statistically? They don't believe that God expects them to be there. Well, the, does, the, does the Bible teach it? Yes, it sure does. Do not forsake assembling together as some people do, but meet more frequently now as the end draws near. The Bible teaches that if you're born again, you're saved. In Acts chapter 2, the first thing that happened when they got saved, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Say fellowship. To the apostles' teaching. To sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. And to prayer. So guess what? Everything else comes secondary. Hallelujah. I know we need to hear it in the American church. Your three-year-old's basketball practice comes secondary to the things of God. And let's, you think, John, that just seems so radical. Really? Because we have an entire generation that's heart is so far from God. Because they've grown up in a lukewarm household that's told them about God just enough to think that they're secure, but they have no relationship and feel no obligation to him at all. Their truth is messed up. If your truth is messed up, then the rest of the armor is messed up. If your truth is messed up, your righteousness is messed up. If your truth is messed up, your assignment's messed up. We're going to talk about the peace in a moment, but your assignment is what it's really talking about. Most Christians spend their whole life and don't know why God put them on this planet. Never know what they're called to do. Never walk in their calling. And they just constantly live their life in a struggle. Why is that? Because your truth is messed up. I don't know, maybe because you go to a church that's never laid hands on you a day in your life. What, what does that have to do with anything? You understand there's a thing in the Bible called impartation. Paul said, Timothy, fan into flame the, the gift you received when we laid our hands on you. There was an impartation Timothy received to carry out his mandate, to carry out his calling that was passed down through the apostle Paul. Jesus imparted into his disciples. Paul imparted into Silas and Timothy. Elijah took the prophet Elijah's mantle. Come on, somebody. That's why we have people in this church that have a gift from the Lord to come get here, preach, and lay hands on you because something will activate in your spirit and connect you with why God has put you on this planet. But the Christians, I don't see a need to go to them revival meetings. Your truth is messed up. So guess what? Because your truth's messed up, your witness is messed up, your assignment's messed up. 
Because your truth is messed up, your faith is messed up. I grew up my whole life. Now I teach faith. I teach the doctrine of faith. You go back there to that book table. I got like four CDs of an hour and a half apiece, a teaching on the Bible doctrine of faith. How is it that I grew up in church my whole life and didn't even know there was a Bible doctrine of faith? What is faith? How do you get faith? How do you use your faith? What do you use your faith for? What are the enemies of faith? I had no idea any of that. You know, and, and I began to say this earlier, but everybody thinks, if I'm a Christian, how come this stuff doesn't just happen automatic? Did you get saved automatically? Did God just wave a wand and one day you woke up and you're like, I never prayed the prayer, I never used my faith, and so, somehow suddenly I got saved? No. The Bible says it's by faith we possess all that God has promised us. So let me tell you, if you don't use your faith, you ain't possessing nothing. God could pay for your healing. God could pay for you to have the blessing of Abraham to take you out of poverty. He can do all of these things, and it's available to you, but you can't possess one of them until you use your faith. Did Jesus pay for your salvation? Yes, he did. How did you access that? By believing in your heart and confession with your mouth, using the formula of faith. Are you all with me? So because your truth's messed up, your righteousness is messed up, your assignment's messed up, your faith is messed up, your salvation is messed up. You can't be ignorant of the truth. Write this down for truth. Number two, you must have proper doctrine. I'm going to tell you something. Bad doctrine is the devil's best friend. The world is not in the condition that it's in right now because of CNN or because of Joe Biden. The world is in the condition that it's in right now because of the pulpits and the churches in the United States of America. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. The salt was not only good for flavoring. In those days, they didn't have refrigerators, did they? So salt was for preserving. So that means that if the, if the United States ain't getting, being preserved right now, it's the church's fault. And in fact, the culture will always reflect the church of that culture. If the culture is hellacious, it's because that there's messed up stuff going out from the pulpits. People think, well, you know, number one, they don't even go to church, and then they do go to church, and they think that they're making the devil mad, but all the time he's, he's spinning around laughing. He's happy because bad doctrine is his best friend. So, in fact, the Bible says that in the last days, the devil will use doctrine to cause the great apostasy. This is 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. Say turn away. You believe, oh, once saved, always saved. I'm telling you, you could blow that doctrine out of the water. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. You will turn away. You can't depart. Another translation says depart. You can't depart from somewhere you've never been. You can't depart from the faith if you've never been in the faith. This ain't talking about heathens that have never been in the faith. No, the Bible explicitly says that in the last days, Christians that do belong to God are going to depart from the faith. How are they going to depart from the faith? And he goes on to say, they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings, say teachings, that come from demons. Demons are going to get in the pulpit and begin to teach, and it's going to cause Christians to depart from the faith. 
These are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. Do you hold any proper, any doctrine or proper doctrine in regards to authority, in regards to healing, in regards to prosperity, in regards to your salvation? So, if you're seeing demonic infiltration, when I, my daughter got that fever that was 104, the first thing I looked at is, is my truth right? Does my truth make room for healing? I'm going to tell you, if you're a Christian right now and someone gets sick, you get a bad diagnosis from the doctor, and you come out saying, well, when the Lord's ready, he'll take me. You know, when the Lord's ready to pluck the, the life, the flower that is my life, and he's ready to have another rose in heaven. How many of you know when it's his time? You have doctrine like that, guess what's going to happen? Your truth's messed up. There's a break in the armor, and the devil can do whatever the heck he wants to you. You got to have proper doctrine. Are you all with me still? Okay, so the strategy of the, dev, of the enemy, let's look at this. 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert, watch out for your enemy. Your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. I want you to get this. Don't be ignorant of how the enemy attacks. Again, in order for him to have success, there has to be a compromise in our armor. So, basically, here's my point, is the enemy will try to put pressure on you to cause you to forfeit the truth. You need to think about that. When, when trials, when tests, I want you to think about this as well. The Bible does not say that there is a place that we can live where the devil will never fire fiery darts, does it? No, it says we'll quench all the fiery darts. He's never going to stop trying. There's not some little cotton candy land where the devil just backs off and leaves us alone. He will try to apply pressure. He will try to bring illegal action into your life. And you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get you to forfeit the truth of God's word. What if I would have said that over my daughter? What if she would have got sick and I would have just forfeited the truth and said, oh, you know what? I guess this healing thing just doesn't really work. I guess those promises just really aren't for today. That's exactly what he's trying to do, is get you to forfeit the truth. Whenever my wife was having, uh, getting, when she was pregnant with Oki, and they told her, you better take all these blood thinners and this medicine and that medicine. If you don't, this blood clot's going to form in the umbilical cord. What was the devil trying to do? He was trying to get me to forfeit my truth, the truth of God's word. But I love the King James in, in Ephesians chapter 6 because it says, having done everything to stand, stand. Say stand. What do you do whenever pressure is being put on you? You look at the armor. Is my truth right? Is my righteousness right? Is my assignment right? Is my faith right? Is my salvation right? And if it is, then I'm not moving. I'm standing in the truth of God's word. And what will happen? He will flee. You resist the enemy, he'll flee. Come on, somebody, amen, this is good, I'm telling you. And this is good because it ain't something that I printed off offline or someone else preached, you know, or I pulled out of a scrapbook somewhere. This is what God's speaking to my spirit about. So, let's look at this. Righteousness, say righteousness. The next part of God's armor is righteousness. Righteousness. 
Y'all, some of y'all are thinking, oh, my gosh, is it time to go? It's only 7.18. We've only been in church for an hour and 18 minutes. And half of that was worship. Are y'all, y'all like the word of God? Are y'all people that are hungry for the word of God? I am. I'm telling you, I can't even hardly feed the dogs without putting some headphones in my ears and just listening to preaching and teaching. Just want the word of God. Tired of these lies. Tired of this wicked lying generation that tries to beat us down and break us down. I just want the the truth of God's word. I don't want religion. I want Jesus. I know he's alive. He's resurrected. And I just want to know him. I don't want to know man-made ideas. Because I believe he's alive. His word still works today. And if it doesn't, if this isn't true and this is just some little ethical code, then we're like no other religion. Let's just throw it out the door and say forget all of it. It's all lies. It's not true. Either it's true or it's not true. And I'm telling you, I've seen enough that I'm convinced it's true. Everything that he said is true, the way that he said it. So next he says in Ephesians chapter 6, stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Say righteousness. So this is interesting here because I know some of you that study the Bible, you'll say, well, that's talking about salvation, right? That's talking about our righteousness by faith. No, it's not. Because it's specifically mentioned separately from salvation. Salvation is a part of the armor of God. So this is not talking about salvation that's given to us by, I'm sorry, righteousness that's granted to us by faith, by God's grace, which we have been made the righteousness of God by faith, not of our own works, not of the law, but by God's grace, we receive that by faith, right? He became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. But this is talking about our walk, our consecration, This is the righteousness in regards to living a holy life apart from sin. That's the righteousness that this is talking about. And and what does it say? Living a holy life apart from sin, what will it be? It will be a body armor for you. Come on, somebody. It will protect you. Man, what a wicked message to preach looseness to the people of God to get them to compromise and to, and to live a life of what the Bible clearly calls, causes sin, calls sin. It opens us up for the devil to come in. We have no armor. We have no breastplate. We have nothing covering our backs. We're just getting completely destroyed by the enemy. And I'm going to tell you a secret. You cannot habitually live in sin and enter into heaven. I don't care if I'm the only preacher left in America that'll say it. You cannot live in sin and enter into heaven. I'm going to give you some facts about sin. Number one, fact about sin. You don't have to sin if you're born again. Oh, we're all just a bunch of old sinners saved by grace. No, you were a sinner. I was a sinner. But then I became the righteousness of God. I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm saved by grace. I'm a child of God. How many of you know we all sin every day? Well, we shouldn't be sinning every day. If that's the case, that's not what the Bible teaches. I'm going to read you a passage, and I'm going to read it quick. Romans chapter 6. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. 
The other translation says, absolutely not. Should we keep on sinning, church? Once you get saved, should you continue? If you were in addiction, should you continue in addiction? Absolutely not. If you were in pornography and you got saved, should you continue in pornography? Absolutely not. Say, absolutely not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that you were joined with Christ Jesus in his baptism and we were joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. That's why we baptize and we've been baptized. And every week at this church, people have been getting baptized. What happens is there's a spiritual thing. When you go in that water, it says that you are counted in his burial. My old life, my sin nature, Adam's flesh that I inherited goes down in that grave. And when I come up, I'm living by the power of God that I'm not living from the first Adam. I'm living from the seed of the second Adam, which was Christ. I'm not living like an earthly man. I'm living by the spirit of God. Are y'all with me? So do not let sin control the way that you live and do not give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Listen to that. Don't give in to sinful desires. We're all just going to struggle and sin every day. Really, why would the Bible say don't do that if we had no ability not to do it? The Bible's not a lie. God doesn't dangle a T-bone steak over your head, and when you jump, he pull. oh, sorry, you can't actually do that one. He said it. He meant it. Obviously, there is a reality where we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. But most Christians don't want to do that. They don't want to die to their flesh. They don't want to shut the door to the devil that they're playing around with. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have a new life. Use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. Guess what? I'm not going to sin every day because it's not my master. I don't have to sin. You are no longer, you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well, then since, we have, since grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? He says it again, of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Guess what? Those are compare and contrast. You can either be a slave to sin... And if you sin, it proves that it's your master. If you continue to live in sin, it proves that you're under the lordship of sin, not the lordship of Jesus Christ. You can either serve sin or you can serve the Lord, but you can't do both. Come on, somebody. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God you were once slave to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey the teaching that we've given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves of righteous living. Wow. Again, God expects us to live righteous. He uses the word slave. That's not even suggestional. Like, I suggest that you should live righteously. You are a slave. You, are, you don't have a choice if you're a born-again believer. We must live holy. He said, be holy for I am holy. So, 
Christians don't have to sin. Write this down for number two. Christians cannot continue in a life of sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. What? Don't let anybody else tell you differently. Those who indulge in sexual sin, sexual sin, say sexual sin. You mean I can't be a Christian and run around sleeping with people I'm not married to? That's exactly what the Bible says. You can't. You mean I can't just go have multiple affairs on my wife and still be born again and go to heaven? That's exactly what the Bible says. You mean, he'll get more specific. Those who worship idols. Man, don't get me preaching on that. Who commit adultery. Are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality. It's point blank clear. You cannot be a Christian. Does God love you if you're a homosexual? Yes, he absolutely loves you, but you have to break the power of sin just like you got to break it in every other area of your life. We can't tolerate it. We can't lie to people because I'm telling you, I don't care if they were baptized when they were six years old and then they lived a life in homosexuality and died at the age of 50 with a, with a partner of the same sex. That person, according to the Bible, if there was not acted out repentance, will not enter into the kingdom of God. Thieves. You mean I can't be a Christian and cheat and be a thief, steal things? Greedy people, drunkards, abusive, cheat people. I can't be a Christian and go around cheating people. You're dang right, you can't, and I can't. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. Listen, if that's where you've been, then there's no condemnation. You've been set free, and you no longer practice those things, and you no longer do those things. Paul was telling the Corinthians, some of you used to be homosexuals. Some of you used to practice sexual immorality. Some of you used to be thieves and drunkards, but you are no longer like that. You were cleansed, and you were made holy, and you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Look at 1 John 3, 4 through 10. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps uh, sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Y'all, Look at that. Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Anyone who continues sinning does not know him or understand who he is. If you don't know him, you will not enter into heaven. He said in Matthew chapter 7, many will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we heal people? Didn't we do all these things in your name? He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. So if you continue to live in habitual sin, I'm not talking like, man, you're trying to serve the Lord and you made a mistake and you were grieved by the Holy Ghost and you repent and make it right. I'm talking a continual pattern where you live in sin. It says you don't know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. Isn't that funny? John said the same thing Paul said. Apparently there was preachers running around telling people otherwise. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. 
But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. I'm telling you something. Have you been born of God's Spirit? I said the prayer a hundred times when I was a kid, and it didn't mean anything because nothing changed. But when I was born again of God's Spirit, everything changed. Come on, somebody. Have you prayed the prayer? That's great. The prayer is important. But have you been born of God's Spirit? Where something breaks off, where you live, something's different on the inside of you. I don't want to get drunk. I don't want to cheat people. I don't want to steal. I don't want to be in sexual immorality. I don't want to do those things because I love the Lord and I hate evil. And the Spirit of God on the inside of me won't allow me without deep conviction to continue in these things. Those who have been born into God's family don't make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So now, look at, look at this. Now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Come on, somebody. So number one, facts about sin. Number one, Christians don't have to sin. Number two, Christians cannot continue in a life of sin. Number three, write this down. Sin opens up the door to the spirit of infirmity and destruction. I promise you I'll have you guys out of here by 8 o'clock, all right? I'm not apologizing for the word of God. I, I, I just hope you're getting this. Are you all in this, in this tonight? Sin opens up the door to the spirit of infirmity and destruction. Think, he said, put on the body armor of God's righteousness. Or in other translations, it says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. King James, New King James. Why would it tell you that? That righteousness is a guard. Righteousness is protection. Because the opposite of righteousness is wickedness and sin. What does sin do? It opens up the door to the spirit of infirmity and destruction. Look at Psalms 32.3. David said, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Why are some Christians sick and sick and sick? Sick and sick and sick. I'm not saying this because there's multiple parts of the, of the armor, right? It could be an issue in another area. But it could be because of sin. Not everybody is sick because they have sinned, but everybody who continues in sin will eventually be sick. Did y'all catch that? Not everyone who is sick is sick because they've sinned, but everyone who continues in sin will eventually be sick. I refuse to confess my sin, and my body wasted away. And then you can read the other Psalms. The Lord, David said what? What happened whenever he confessed his sin, the Lord restored him. There's some of you, man, I've been using my faith. I've been using that shield of faith. I've been using the sword of the Spirit. But it's like I can't seem to get breakthrough in this area. Well, is there a sin problem? Is there a righteousness problem? Come on, somebody. Look at uh, Psalms 31.10. I am dying from grief. My, ears, my years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained 
my strength. Well, so sin will cause your body to be wasted away. Sin will cause your strength to be drained. Why am I depressed? Why do I have no energy? Why do I just feel like junk all the time? Well, you know, it may not just be medical. I know in 2022, we try to medicate and prescribe everything on planet Earth. There's a pill. There's five pills for everything. And then you take one pill and it causes three more symptoms. And then you got to go get six more pills for those three more symptoms. And now they cause more symptoms. You got to get 18 more pills before you know it. You're taking 300 pills in the morning and 200 pills at night before you go to bed. What's going on? Not everything's a medical problem. Some things are a spirit problem, a sin problem. As we read, if you've been to this church, you know I've taught on demonic oppression. Jesus dealt with the spirit and the symptoms left. Jesus dealt with the spirit and the woman that couldn't stand up straight for 18 years stood up straight because it wasn't a back problem, it was a spirit problem. Come on, somebody. And so sin opens up the door to the spirit of infirmity and destruction. So you say, well, I don't want to be sick. You continue in sin, you leave a wide open door for that spirit. Amen. I'll prove it to you in another place in Scripture. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 43 through 45, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I'll return to the person that I came from. So it returns and it finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And that person is worse off than they were before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. So Jesus was talking about a person. They get set free from a spirit. What happens? The spirit leaves. It goes out and it tries to come back. And if it finds an open door, it says it gets seven spirits that are worse than that one and comes in and takes possession of that person. That person's worse off than they were before it got cast out the first time. Okay, what causes the door to be open? Look at John 4, I'm sorry, John 5, 14. Jesus healed a man, and afterwards it says Jesus found this man in the temple and told him, now that you are well, stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. So what was he saying? Sin will open the door for those seven spirits way worse, more wicked, more destructive, more terrorizing than the one before to come back and infiltrate your life. Sin, say sin. Sin opens up the door to the spirit of infirmity and destruction. Hallelujah. I want you to get this. If you sow sin, you will reap death and destruction. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin. Look at Galatians 6.8. Those that live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature but those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit it's very simple you live to gratify your flesh and you live in sin you will harvest death and decay even if you're a christian but as we just read if you're a christian you can't keep living like that the spirit of the lord inside of you won't let you keep living like that 
right? So that may end up getting to the other part of the armor, which we'll get to, which is salvation. Maybe you got all these problems because you're not even saved under the blood of Jesus. Am I being too real? You can pray the prayer. I'm going to tell you something. Even after you get saved, the, the law of seed, time, and harvest is still in effect. Amen. And if you sow sin, you reap destruction. So number, write this down underneath sin. You cannot have fellowship with darkness. You cannot have fellowship with darkness. Ephesians 5.11. Take no part in the worthless deeds of this evil of evil and darkness. I'm sorry, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. I like the New King James. It says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Say no fellowship. Basically, not to confuse you, it means this. You cannot fellowship with darkness. Most Christians aren't getting delivered because you can't get a delivered from a demon that you're not done playing with. Man, I'm sick all the time. Why am I sick all the time? Well, it's probably because you go home and you're letting your 13-year-old kids watch the most horrific demonic movies that exist. And what are you doing? You're fellowshipping with darkness. You're fellowshipping with that spirit. What fellowship is you're opening the door. You're tolerating it. You're giving it your attention. You're giving it access to your life. And then you're wondering why there's death and destruction. It's because you, ha- you have agreed to have fellowship with that spirit. Y'all, I'm telling you right now, you can have no, say no fellowship with darkness. I'm telling you, you can't come to church. I'll get into some of this. Demonic, uh, pornography is a demonic spirit. You know, they've interviewed serial killers that have done the, the most horrific things that you could ever imagine. Mutilating human beings. And the ones that were actually able to give cognitive kind of accounts of things, they asked, where did all this start? You know, this ain't right. No human just does this. Every one of them said it didn't start with killing people, it started with pornography. Even back before there was the internet, the magazines, this all started with pornography. You know why? Because what pornography does is it makes you turn a human being into an object of your pleasure. That's no longer a human being, that's an object. And if I can see this person, who is a person as an object, I have no problem doing wicked, violent, disgusting things because it's not a life, it's, a, it's an object. Man, that's the same stupid, nasty, horrible spirit behind abortion. Women are getting tattoos on their bellies. This is, with, you know, with a baby with a knife going through. It's absolutely horrific. They, that's not a life. That's just a fetus. That's just a clump of cells. Demonic, wicked. That is a corrupt spirit from hell. I'm telling you right now, that's why you better look around. The churches that stayed silent when Roe v. Wade was overturned because they don't want to get political. Man, you can't celebrate when a devil from hell topples over and we get freedom in this country. If you can't celebrate, I don't trust you. Period. You can disagree with me. I don't care. I don't trust somebody that can't celebrate that. I wonder what spirit have you crawled into bed with that you're trying to be friends with for personal gain? That's demonic. 
You know, so you can't come here and raise your hand and hallelujah, I'm going to praise the Lord, and then you're, you're tolerating, you're fellowshipping with that darkness. When I was a kid, I loved horror movies. My mom never let me watch them. My dad never let me watch them, but I would find a way anyways because I didn't serve the Lord and I was just a rebellious little turd that needed to get saved. And I would always tell my mom that. I'm not scared. They don't, and they never did. Like, it didn't scare me. I never, you know, I would laugh. I would watch them, and people, that's what kids say. Well, it doesn't scare me. You know, I think it's kind of fun. Like, I think it's funny. When I watch the clown killing people, you know, I think it's funny. You understand, it's not just about being afraid. It's a spirit that you're fellowshipping with. And you t- I'm telling you right now, when your job as parents is to not be friends with your children. Your job as parents is to train up your children in the way that they should go. Oh, mom, oh, dad, oh, grandma, oh, grandpa, this movie doesn't scare me. And then you let them turn that junk on or you let them go to the movies. You let them go participate with that spirit. And what do you do? You have fellowship. You've opened the door into your life and into your family. You ever think about this kind of stuff? Sudden infant death syndrome, horrible things. And if anybody's ever dealt with that, I'm not speaking condemnation over you, but you ever think some of this has spiritual root? Man, what if we let demons into the house is why this baby died, not because the Lord wanted this baby to die, because we opened the door and began to fellowship with wickedness. And we don't understand that there is a price to pay for sin. There is a real devil and there is a real God. And it ain't some game that we're playing. Come on. You can't fellowship with darkness. So here's the strategy. Remember we talked about the strategy. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Don't be ignorant of the strategies of the devil. What will the devil do? He'll try to get you to forfeit your righteousness. Tempt you, test you. If you're in any of those categories that I'm talking about, number one, you need to repent and just get right with the Lord. Repent. But you may need to be delivered from a spirit. You know, I've been listening. Anybody ever listen to Derek Prince? I've been listening to Derek Prince and deliverance. It's been heavy on my heart. And he talked about the difference between the flesh. You know, you can tell if someone, it's a, someone's flesh and a spirit. A spirit is when someone is doing it and they don't even want to do it. I don't even want to watch pornography anymore, but I just keep coming back to this thing. That's a devil that needs to be dealt with. I'm not saying that you're possessed by the devil. You can be born again and be, he talked about being demonized. It doesn't mean possessed. It means oppressed. It means that there is another presence that is around trying to infiltrate your life, waiting for that slip up, waiting up for that crack, waiting for you to come into agreement so that they can come and take possession in your life. My, why am I constantly, man, I believe I'm born again, I'm washed in the blood, but how come I can't break this urge to smoke? How come I can't break the urge to drink? I can't break the urge to dip. I can't break these urges. You may need to be delivered from a spirit. Because your flesh is dead, and the Bible's true. And resurrection power will break all of that off. And if it's not happening, even when you desire it to happen, it may be a spirit that needs to be dealt with. Amen. So, let's get to the point here, and I'm about done for tonight. I said three, but I'm only going to do two. Because we just, we spent so much time here. But 
If you see demonic success, remember, he gave us the armor. He said, stand firm, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. After the day of evil, you'll still be found standing firm. So if you can look at your life and say, I see the hand of the thief infiltrating my life, you need to ask the question, is your truth right? You could say, well, I don't know, yes or no. Number two, is my righteousness right? Have I opened the door to sin? Have I fellowshiped with darkness? And if, you, if the Lord shows you, yes, man, there's something that needs to change. You need to get it right and shut that door and patch up that armor. Amen. So, benefits. I'm just going to go over these real quick. These are the benefits of righteousness. So the Bible says, put on the armor of righteousness, the body armor of God's righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. There's benefits. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.8, physical training is good, but training in godliness is much better. Promising benefits, say benefits, in this life and in the life to come. So here's the most amazing thing. When you live righteous, when you live holy, it doesn't only secure heaven once you're saved, right? That's not the ticket to get to heaven. Only faith in the name of Jesus can get you to heaven. But when you live righteous, there's benefits to life on this earth. People don't understand that. There's benefits to godliness. A couple of these, Psalms 1-6, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. The Bible talks about how he works all things to the good and benefit of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. What happens when you're a righteous man and you're a righteous woman? The hand of God is on your life, and even when somebody tries to come in, sent by the devil to redirect you, to kill, steal, and destroy, it works out in your benefit every single time. It's like the devil tries to throw a punch, and somehow it just comes back and punches him in the face, and I get more blessed for it. What is that? The hand of God on your life. He watches over the righteous. It says in Psalms 112, 5 through 7, good comes to those that lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those are right, those who are righteous. So say the righteous. The righteous will not be overcome by evil. Hallelujah. I'm telling you again, I don't care what they have planned, what a devil, demonic agenda is assigned for this country. We will not be overcome by evil. You can jack up gas prices to $17 a gallon, and we will not be overcome by evil or by that spirit. We will walk in victory, and we will prosper. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. Guess what? If you walk in righteousness, you're a righteous man, a righteous woman. The Bible says you don't have to fear bad news. Why do you not have to fear bad news? Because God watches over the path of the righteous. You don't wake up every day expecting. That's most people's life. They're just expecting. Man, things have been, people think like this. It's been going too good. Man, it's been like a whole week without something happening any time now. That's not your portion if you're a righteous man or a righteous woman. You don't expect bad news. They confidently trust in the Lord to care for them. Look at, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Psalms 37, 25. David said, I have been young and now I'm old. 
right? I was a young man. Now I'm an old man. I've lived my whole life. And he says, I can testify to this. I have not ever seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed or descendants begging for bread. You know what David was saying? I can't think one time that there was a righteous man or a righteous woman that God did not bless and that God was not with. I can't remember ever seeing a righteous man standing on the side of the road begging for bread. Why? Because God's hand is on the path of the righteous. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Say never. never. Say never. Say never. You cannot be begging out in the street and be a righteous man or woman at the same time. If you can, then the Bible's lying. Very simple. Either it's true or it's not. You know, there was one time that this guy we had witnessed to, he was living on the highway in a tent with his family. We told him, we're going to come pick you up for church. And, oh, you know, he didn't want that. He just wanted money, which is fine because I'll get to that in a minute. We bless a lot of people with money. But I began to share the word of the Lord with him, and I said, look, I want to, you know, are you right? I tried to lead him to salvation with the Lord, and you know what he told me? He told me the Texas religious answer. Oh, I love Jesus. I'm saved. Man, I was praying, and I was praying to the Lord. I prayed Two hours, two and a half hours every day I spend in prayer. I read 14 chapters of the Bible a day. You know, making this stuff up. And and I told him, I said, look, if that's true, then the Bible clearly does not tell the truth because the Bible says that a righteous man is never begging for bread. So if you're begging for bread, then there may be a problem with righteousness. Are you all with me? And if there's a problem with righteousness, there's no condemnation. But if you think right? I don't need anything that you're saying. I don't need to repent. I don't need to get things right with God because I think that I'm secure. Man, you're deceiving yourself. Are y'all with me? Hallelujah. God's not a liar. Amen. I'm going to end with this. It says in 2 Timothy 2, 20-22, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions. Say special occasions. The cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Wow. If God picks favorites, no. If you keep yourself pure. Here, you'll be someone that God will use on this earth in a special way. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Therefore, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living. Wow, righteous living. Faithfulness, love, and peace, and enjoy the companionship of those that call on the Lord with pure hearts. You know, the ultimate reality, why do people never step into their calling? God has a high calling on your life. Because of sin, they're not ready for it. He said, if you keep yourself pure, you will be ready. If you don't, guess what? You won't be ready when he calls. Y'all, and I'm going to tell you, too, that, that, you know, God is the God of first chances, second chances, third chances for salvation, but there are windows that you miss. There are sometimes things that you could miss. Like, think about this. Say if you were 15 years old and you 
rejected the Lord your whole life and you lived to 80 years old and you finally decided to give your life to Jesus Christ, would he accept you? Yeah, he would accept you. But you would have forfeited the plan, purpose, and calling that he had those other 65 years. Right? There is a window sometimes. You, we, when God calls, right, when the opportunity arises, we must be instruments ready for him to use us for every good work. I would hate for the Lord to have something prepared for me, but then him come to my house and find, my son's not ready for this, so I must find another person to carry this out. Are you all with me? Righteousness is God's body armor. It covers you front to back. So whenever it says the breastplate, I'm just going to say this last thing. It literally was an all-encompassing piece of armor. It covered their chest. It covered their legs. It covered all the way down to their feet. And it covered their backside as well. That's a funny one. You can tweet that. Righteousness will cover your backside. Hallelujah. Righteousness will cover your backside. You know, Jesus said all that was done in the dark will be brought to light. There was a video, I don't know if any of you guys saw it, circulating of a pastor. I was talking to Evangelist Nick. He said that this actually happened in Pennsylvania, close to where he was from. But there was a video recently of this woman coming out and confronted a pastor in front of his whole church for basically sexually abusing her like 20 years earlier when she was 16 years old. And I mean, I'm sitting there, and he's just, like, repenting, and he tried to kind of sweep it under the rug, and like, yeah, I had an affair on my wife, and then was trying to dodge the fact that it was a kid that it happened with. I mean, it was, it was horrible. And I was sitting there watching that, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, thinking about this guy, this pastor, this minister, and I was like, they should show this to Bible college students, right? Live holy. <laughs> Live clean. Don't do stuff like that. Why? Because it will actually save you from death. It will preserve you. It will rescue you. It, it will be a breastplate of, of righteousness, of God's body armor that will protect your backside in the future. Amen. So I tell you kids this, don't fall into this generation, the sloppy grace, the sloppy Joe. Just live however the heck you want to live. I'm telling you, there's a reward for righteous living. You will be so much more happy when you're my age and when you're older than my age, when you're 40, 50, 60, 70, that you chose righteousness over what this world had to offer you. You're not missing anything. That's what the devil tells you. You're missing out on fun. No, you're not missing out on fun. Because I want to tell you, the blessing of the Lord is more fun than anything, any, anything that sin has to offer. Hallelujah. Amen. Did you all receive the word of the Lord tonight? Praise God. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.